Hello, everyone. Hey, folks. Oh, folks. Is that folks with the X? Because it makes you look more inclusive. Oh, I was thinking chaos, but the X works too. No, the thing is like folks with the X is so it's like fake woke, where it's just like folks with the chaos means the same thing. Why? It's not. What are you doing? It's like people who try to spell coffee with a K. They're thinking they're quirky, but they're not. Oh, that. Okay. Oh. Anyway, um, I'm Kay. <laughs> I, I am, unfortunately, I'm Craig. Oh, unfortunately. Well, I don't have that attitude. I'm, I'm very fortunate that you are Craig. Um, you. If you're listening to this, it must be the new year of, uh, of 2022, chronologically speaking. Um, h- how is it so far? I'm speaking both to our viewers, viewers, and um, myself, who's going to be editing this. To, to, to our audience, how are y'all doing? Is it is it good so far? Did the, did the, the world audience? blow up? Um, honestly, it's going to be as mediocre as every new year is. Well, I just meant like, you know how 2020 and 2021 have not been great? Like, I, that's what I'm saying. 2020 oh. is going to be just, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to be a realist for a hot minute. I I was told today, actually, by a good friend that I, I am an idealist at heart and I'm a bit of a perfectionist, which is a very accurate read. Um, in certain context, I know you're looking yeah, at me I'm like, like uh, no, you're not. No, you're not. I'm a little <laughs> No, I tend, in certain aspects of my life, I tend to be more idealist than realist, so... I'm going to shake it up, shake, shake, and um, say, no, I'm going to be real about it. I think every new year starts off not so great because there's nothing special about it. And also every new year starts in January, which is one of the worst months. So It's Capricorn season. God. I like Capricorn. Stop hating on my fellow Earth signs. I love me a Virgo. Yeah, everyone. Well, no, I was going to say everyone likes Virgo. <laughs> everyone <laughs> No, I love they me, do Vir- not. no, sorry. Let me let me rephrase. I love Virgo women. Mm. Fair. There's a few Virgo men I like. Jason Sudeikis is a Virgo, and Keanu Reeves. Yep. Keanu. Now I'm gonna be real for a second. Oh I, no! Well, how about you be real the entire podcast? I will be. I will be <laughs> fake one bit. Okay. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I fully trust Keanu. Because he's a man. I mean, granted, yes, but I don't know. If I were to be, I thought about this in depth, actually. If I were to be put into like a room of like different celebrities and it came down to like certain scenarios where like lives were at risk, I wouldn't trust the man. I wouldn't oh, trust him with my life. I feel the opposite where it's like that trend from like a year or two ago where it's like you're in a room full of like four men and you feel safe who are the men like Keanu Reeves is one of those men interesting I, I respect your decision I just I don't know if I would feel as safe I would also say also we have to take into consideration um I'm a gay man and you're a woman so there might be a little bit of reasoning behind that but I don't know I don't know where he stands we, with the game we on. both have reason to distrust men as a gay man and no, 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 not saying that you shouldn't try, but him as a, as far as I know, a cisgendered straight white man. Uh, he's, he's more, mixed. Is he mixed? He's, he's half Asian. 
Um, so in this episode, as our like kind of season two finale, I know this this you know quote unquote season was a little bit shorter than season one. Our output was not as frequent. That's yeah. because I have mental illness. Um, and so recording all the time and editing and posting every single week is a lot. And also Craig is very busy because, you know, he basically works two jobs, um, going to grad school and working an actual job. Uh, so, you know, but you know, anyway. I, I too, let's, let's not, let's spread, let's spread the mental love. I too suffer from mental illness. So the fact- Mental illness and two jobs, girl. Yeah. (laughs) The fact that I have to um, sit there and do the bare minimum sometimes is just, it does not sound appealing. And as much as this, this podcast brings me so much joy, it's a bit of an effort. Yeah. It's it's like another job. I mean, we enjoy doing it, but there, yeah, there, for there's sure. work involved. There um, is, and there's preparation, and there's there's things to consider, and it's literally time management, which is not my worst suit. It's not my strongest, not my worst, and especially late, as of late, it's, um, time is of the essence, which is you know so timely with this episode. Time. The end of the year. Time. Um, time yes. after time. So we're doing a bit of our like favorite things. Um, we kind of did this in our season one finale where we did like a little mid-year wrap up of like what our favorite movies were and shows and albums and stuff. This one's a little bit looser, a la like my favorite things from The Sound of Music slash uh, sampled in, what is it, Seven Rings by Ariana Grande, <laughs> yeah. uh, Star of Don't Look Up, which we're not going to talk about. Um, because we have differing. We already have a phone call about that. I have, I have the correct opinion. You have the norm core opinion. It's whatever. It's fine. (laughs) Anyway, so mine aren't in necessarily any order. Craig somewhat are. We're just gonna talk about things that we really liked this year. You know. Yeah. Um, would you like to go first? Do you want me to go first? I can go first. Um, okay. I also just wanted to let everyone who is listening know that our favorite things of 2021 does not necessarily have to come from 2021. Um, and if anyone, you know, is you know reminiscing or thinking through this while they're at home too listening and they want to participate, it doesn't have to be from 2021. It could be something you either like watch, listen to, or read for the first time, or even something you thought more about this year. Um, some, somehow it affected your life within this past year. It mm-hmm. does not have to be produced or like put out the same year. So yeah, I just wanted to kind of clarify that. So like, especially with my first one, it's going to be way off from 2021. Well, just so I yeah, just so I didn't confuse the viewers. Um, viewers we did viewers again i think we should just call start calling them viewers <laughs> yeah it'd be it'd be kind of a serif i'm not gonna lie okay so uh number five but again mine isn't really like rated in a tier order okay so we can even, i'll just say my first one we're going to talk about all right, all right um is a novella mm-hmm. from 1898 i love the 90s <laughs> 
That's a fun time. Uh, uh, and that novella is Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Oh, right. You wrote a whole essay about this, right? I did a paper for one of my grad classes on this. Uh, can I tell you which grad class? I cannot because I genuinely just don't remember which one. Was that the naturalism one or no? Oh, it might have been actually. Why do like, I remember no. this? <laughs> no, actually, I think the naturalism class I wrote on The Woman in Black by Susan Hill, which oh, is right. also like an old ghost story because I mm -hmm. talked about like nature and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I honestly don't remember which class okay. it was for. Okay. It, it was obviously one of my literature courses, mm -hmm. as all mine are. Um, so for anyone who is not familiar with The Turn of the Screw, I am on Goodreads. I'm going to read a quick synopsis. So it's a very young woman's first job. She is the governess for two weirdly beautiful, strangely distant, oddly silent children, Miles and Flora, at a forlorn estate, an estate haunted by a beckoning evil. Half-seen figures who glare from dark towers and dusty windows, silent, foul phantoms who day by day, night by night, come closer, even closer. With growing horror, the helpless governess realizes that the fiendish creatures want the children, seeking to corrupt their bodies, possess their minds, and own their souls. But worse, much worse, the governess discovers that Miles and Flora have no terror of the lurking evil, for they want the walking dead as badly as the dead want them. For anyone who this might sound familiar... I was about to say... This is, tale, is this, like, I, the inspiration for, like, Haunting of Bly Manor or something? Because it sounds... Yes, like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it is loosely um, that that was a season of the haunting series is the haunting series, I guess you can call them on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. the second season, mm -hmm. The Haunting of Bly Manor was loosely inspired by this novella. Mm -hmm. There's also a movie that came out in, I believe, 2020 or 2019 called The Turning. Oh, oh, was that the really bad one, though? With was it Finn Wolfhard and stuff? Yes, yeah. I, I believe he was in it. I heard it got really bad reviews. I yeah. have not seen it. I I only want to see it purely because I am a big fan of the novella, and I'm just curious to see. I don't even know who directed it, honestly, but I'm just curious to see where they took it and why it got rated so badly. Like sometimes you need that. I think they said like it was just like the performances were bad and it was dumb. Like I just yeah. think they didn't do it right. I mean, there's a lot of and ways also, to not do things right, but yeah. Yeah, I think a big reason for that, again, I've only seen the trailer probably like once and I don't remember as well, but from what I gathered from that trailer, I think it's like a more modern adaptation. It is. Which with like a novella like this, it's so hard to successfully accomplish because the point is it is an old ghost tale. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah, for, these people haven't me, seen iPhones. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> for people to be fully grounded in this story and understand the narrative, like it needs, I don't think it should have been updated. But again, my opinion means what to these people. Anywho, so the reason I chose this, as Kay mentioned, I did write a paper about this novella. Um, I was super excited to as well, because I love me some spooky horror ghosty stuff. And I don't know, it just has great payoff. Like the whole story is just encapsulating. Even though it was written in 1898, I'm a sucker for the classics. I know most people aren't. That's so like I, still somewhat recent though. Like that's it is the 1900s. Yeah, it is. But I the only reason I say this is because I feel like a lot of 
quote unquote readers are very contemporary or modern and mm -hmm. like people who deem themselves readers and like don't really read not to like throw shade or anything like would never touch something like this yeah well that's like um, they're like i'm gonna read the newest thing that this person who writes the same series over and over again puts out yeah like, well like so most like cinephiles you know the ones on like film twitter anyway like they really like movies but they're not necessarily watching like the silent films like they're not watching cabinet of dr calgary they're not watching Nosferatu. Yeah. and do they need to like if they're if they're an academic maybe yeah they have are, like interest in it but like, but, like don't if they go just, out of your way if they just like watching movies because there's hot people in them like who cares that's that's my take but yeah if you want to consider yourself like a well-rounded book of file no bibliophile <laughs> book of file yeah bibliophile. book of file the classics and more honestly like the rarer classics um are definitely musts yeah and i don't know again for those who are listening or like if you aren't familiar with Henry James, I just recommend you read him. He's a great author. He knows his way around a story. Like all these people who wrote earlier, like anywhere in the 18, 1900s, um, again, the classics, I'm really a sucker for those writers because like they had to be good at their craft because of the time. This was a time where only certain people were reading, not everyone was. Um, you also have to take into consideration this isn't the contemporary culture 21st century where things are being advertised heavily, all that good nonsense. Like, you really had to be a good writer in order to sell a book. Yeah. I mean, you still have to be a, a good writer nowadays to sell books, but, like, there's other ways, there's other venues. Like, you can always just post it on Amazon and whatever. Yeah, and, like, self-publish. I actually have a theory. I've, I've I've mulled this over with Dave. How obviously there are industry plans within the music world. Mm -hmm. I believe the same thing for the literary world, especially like nowadays. There are definitely like plans that are put into place for sure. Well, I'm sure a lot of it's also like nepotism. Like they have a friend in publishing, or oh yeah, they have a family nepotism member. Writers, yeah, yep, yep, yep. yep a lot of these um, writers are like that but again it's this is such a great story for like even those who aren't necessarily horror fans but like to dabble in the spooky because again older literature such as this isn't the same horror that we have today um but the writing is what is uncanny and it's really how the characters are portrayed how the scenery is portrayed it's really interesting too because i believe again it's been a hot minute since i read it i believe the narrator um is the governess who is like the the protagonist so i believe it's a first person point of view which also obviously makes her very unreliable and you see why as the novella progresses and i think it's just a really cool take on female power and female sexuality in the late 1800s too it's very much a tale of that and why it's connected to ghosts and horror so it's something that made my year and it was something i've been wanting to read for so long so i was really happy that i had the chance to not only read it this year but write an academic grad school paper on it
as pretentious as that sounds. I mean, it does. <laughs> but for sure. <laughs> um, no, like go off, uh, literary boy. Um, yeah, I was mentioning to Craig before we got on this that I have like barely been reading this year. Um, so to get really into like a novella is insane to me because I haven't really gotten into a book in a very long time. I'm hoping to change that. Speaking of reading, my first favorite thing of the year, which came mostly in like October, um, was Hunter Harris's Succession Power Rankings, um, which she would release directly after each new episode of Succession. Um, so this is almost like a twofold favorite thing, my bad, but also uh, season fine. three of Succession was one of my favorite things. Um, so if you don't know, Hunter Harris is a writer. Um, she used to write, oh, I forget for what, I think it was The Guardian. I don't know. She wrote for a, a very popular magazine journal. She has a uh, a newsletter called Hung Up. Um, I don't subscribe to it because I don't have a lot of money, but her power rankings are free. Um, and basically what she would do is at the end of each episode, she, like an hour or two after the episode dropped, she would send out a power ranking. Um, so from least powerful, or is it most powerful to least powerful um, within like all the characters who were in that episode. And it was just not only is she so smart, but she's so funny um, which is kind of what Succession is too. It's like very witty and biting um, and like, it's just a good drama, but with like a lot of comedic aspects to it, which is great. Um, and so like reading that after each episode was just like a highlight. Like I'd have to wait a whole week for the new episode, but boom, I could, I could read this wonderful, wonderful newsletter from Hunter um, and I agreed with her most of the time or sometimes she would bring up things that I hadn't considered or that I missed because the, uh, the episodes are quite um, jam-packed with plot and information and like little things that you can just miss because it's in the midst of all this jargon that you don't understand about business and like <laughs> the the term that they kept on using in past seasons were like what are the optics on this like what are the optics and this season they kept on saying like oh let's read the temperature on that like what are we gauging as the temperature on this situation and I just love peppering that into my everyday conversations now um and Hunter gets us of course um so mostly <laughs> those emails but also um season three of Succession, streaming on HBO Max. Yes, I have yet to watch. Obviously, you're not the first person in my life to tell me how fantastic the show is, mm -hmm. and it's something that is on my list for sure. However, what I do love is watching, like, videos of people making fun of Succession, and me having not ever seen the show, I completely understand what's <laughs> still going on in these videos. Yeah. And that's where I get my joy from. So it just makes me even more excited to eventually start the show. Oh, I'm going to send you so many fan cams um, once you do. I've just been sending them to my friends all, all for the past month. 
where it's like this is a middle aged like a 40 year old depressed millionaire man and it's like mm, my little meow meow <laughs> and it's, it's so funny like I don't think you know young women in their 20s who go to film school slash whatever we we do um was the intended audience for this show um but it became like however that's what it became the most vocal audience of the show i still think a bulk of the viewers are you know regular people but on twitter it would seem as if it's just like 22 year old bisexual women who love the very normal looking male characters on the show yes <laughs> which is fair like it is it's fair they're not the most attractive people in the world but somehow they are you you when you when you watch it you'll know what i mean and that is a power move mm-hmm. so that's my first favorite thing Perfect. i'm being a little silly but not really because i genuinely enjoyed it yeah. so much uh, my next thing on my list is a bit um, silly, someone could say. It is, I put down, it was actually my first time watching it like fully and then getting invested is Drag Race. Mm, that's not silly. In 2021. It's silly because, um, not because like it took me this long necessarily. It's silly because Dave and I and like all we do is go back and forth with like quotes from the show just like that's, iconic quotes that's fair though yeah um and i literally like wrote specifically like in parentheses season five and then all Stars season two like those are the two seasons that like i've watched twice both seasons because again i just i have almost watched all of the show within this within less than a year i moved here in july in nashville and that's when mm. i started so I've almost watched all of the it. The city yassified you. <laughs> it really it really did. Um, <laughs> well, you can always watch like UK Drag Race Mast. Yes, I have. Yeah, I've only watched the US version. I know there's so many others and, you know, Rouge just keeps putting out more. Not um, the fracking. Not the <laughs> not only the thing fr- she does more of. <laughs> um, what can I say? There's just... It's become a comfort show and I never thought it would, but it's just something to put on in the background or just to rewatch. And like, especially when I'm like severely depressed and I need like to be uplifted, like Mm -hmm. nothing can do it better than a drag queen. They're entertainers. That's what they do. It's what they do. And are they good at it? Damn, are they good at it? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And like through that, I am trying to think like in terms of, Ever since watching this show, like I've finally gone and seen my first drag show. I seen, um, I saw Bianca Del Rio from I think she's season six. She did like a comedy. She was touring, like doing a comedy show. So I saw yeah. her in Nashville. She's so funny. Oh my goodness! And you know me, like I hate stand-up comedy. I think it's like the bane of existence. You're sick. <laughs> Call the CDC. Really You're it. sick. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, I hate it so much, but I never laughed so hard. She was so funny. Um, and then, of course, I met the one and only Alyssa Edwards. Oh, love her. 
I love her so much. And um, I don't even watch Drag Race and I love Alyssa. Yeah, who doesn't? I um, it, I, I was so awkward when I met her though, because like I truly just did not know what to say in her presence. Just because I love you, big fan. <laughs> literally she was it's just not that she was intimidating but the fact that there was so much star power right in front of me like I didn't know what to say um so I said something along the lines of oh my god like I love you so much and I told her that she's like really iconic and she's like one of the best people on this earth something like that and that's all I could say like I was just so like frazzled and then yeah yeah I mean I think that's kind of like what um America's Next Top Model was for me back in the day like yeah. such a to- like maybe not quite because it's so toxic and Tyra Banks is a monster but like it was very comforting like these girls were so good at what they did not all of them some of them were like how'd you get in here flop but <laughs> same with the show but- <laughs> yeah where I'm like you're a flop and these girls they're gonna eat you up um but like it was just comforting and like that show know. was a moment. Yeah, and it's like so I would I'd be pissed if like there wasn't drama that season if like they all got along. But usually there were at least two girls every season who like hated oh, of each course. other for some Pro- reason. Production knew what they were doing. Oh yeah, they were they were set up. Um, and again, Tyra is a psychopath, and I don't support her. <laughs> but that show is right? fun. What? She's a Leo, right? Uh, I think she transcends astrology. She's just <laughs> insane. She's just her own. She's just her own. She's Tyra. Um, uh, she does give me Leo energy, though. I guess all models, I to an extent, do. Yeah, I think she is a Leo. I'm going to look into it later. Okay. Um, but, okay. Wonderful. I, I mean, I remember asking you if you knew us, like, this was back in beginning of the year I was like do you know this clip from from drag race and you're like I'm a bad I'm a bad gay I don't watch it and yes. I was like that'll change well here we are full circle well, here we are <laughs> it, I I have come out a new person Mm-mm. I have gained more clarity I've gained more depth gained more knowledge I just feel like so worldly now you kind of are, I love how your last one was like this old novella that was like a gothic, blah, blah, blah. Next one, Drag Race. I think they hold the same cultural weight, though. Oh, for sure. They absolutely do. Um, the way that if people got onto like the literary phenomenon of like older authors and just like paid them the rent that they deserve. Turn of the Screw would be a hit. It would be a, a classic smash even now. Honestly, I'm surprised that the new season, that new season of Haunting of the Bly Manor that like was loosely adopted from the novella, I'm surprised that there wasn't like an uptick in people going to like back and reading that. I mean, I mean maybe there was, but I didn't um, see any. Um, well, I feel like because it it wasn't like Hill House was based off of a book of the same name. Yes. Um, where Blind Manor, it's not the same name, and maybe people were thinking it was more of an original story. Um, I don't know, but I enjoyed Blind Manor actually a lot less than Hill House. That's what I heard. They were like, I heard the it was like two episodes was, too long. 
Yeah, I heard season one was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Haunting of Hill House, which is a Shirley Jackson novel, for those who don't know. Another great writer. Um, yeah. Hill House was incredible. I cried every single episode. Yeah, I I need to check that out because I've heard, obviously, there's just so many shows that people tell me to check it out. I'm like, yep, I'll get to them, and they're on my list, but, like, now I definitely need to get around to it because I heard, like, cinematic-wise, too, like, the cinematography was done really well this season. Oh, yeah. There were there was this one famous scene that's, like, all in one shot where they do so much stuff in the background, and it's, like, in a circle the entire time. It's so good you're just gonna have to watch it and then like let your jaw drop um so my next favorite thing is an institution and a building and it is my local library um (laughs) i signed up for a library card again because i hadn't had one for a very long time which is embarrassing but it is what it is um so i got a new one and you know how I said I don't really read books. I wasn't checking out books. I was checking out the ladies. No, I I checked out <laughs> uh, movies because and, and ladies and ladies and ladies mo- movies about ladies. Um, yes. If you didn't know, most libraries slash probably all libraries um, have a media uh, collection. Um, my local library has a pretty big room it's like a whole row of a bunch of movies they got new releases they got blu-ray they even have tv shows um that you can rent like season by season um and so i did this thing over the summer where every week i'd go to the library and i take out three movies i take out a new one i take out like a popular blockbuster um and i take out like either a classic or a foreign uh, language film um and that week I would watch all three movies um free of charge because hey it's the library and also like when you check out the stuff from the library at the bottom it says like you saved this much money by going to your local library and like it was a lot of money each time it was like 50 yeah. to 70 dollars because dvds are expensive um so that was just something really fun. Like the li- my library, they recently, as in like in the past 10 years, <laughs> they redid it and it looks like an old, like kind of New England manor um, mm-hmm. on the inside. And it's so nice. Um, I did actually also take out books. Um, I read a book about chess, which was interesting because I don't play chess. <laughs> um, it was research. Um, She's like, I need to be the next Queen's Gambit. I was like, Miss Queen's Gambit, this is me. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, I took out... You said, like, Anya, I'm coming from your Emmys, girl. <laughs> yeah, I took out like an Art Deco book. I took out just a bunch of a bunch of books just where I would read little parts of them and for research purposes. But mostly I took out movies and I haven't been there in a while because um, I've had to focus on school but like during the summer I wasn't doing anything um and the best part of my week was going to the library and returning my movies and taking out more movies um it's like such a fun little I don't know like self-care I love that yeah I felt I felt good because like I like going to the library everyone there is super nice and I think 
libraries are essential and wonderful and it's uh -huh. sad that if like we didn't have libraries and they were like proposed as a thing today they'd be like no we're not doing that what you give things out to the public for free no um yeah but like libraries are so like they help people who are looking for jobs who can't afford you know computers or internet at home where they can apply for jobs on the internet on the computers um there's resources um there's like all these law resources for people who uh maybe can't afford a great lawyer or whatever um I mean, there's just a bunch of books. I remember going to the library as a kid and taking out books all the time and just being like, wow, there is literally so much to read. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just a wonderful place. I like the library a lot. Um, and that's why it made my list of my favorite things. I love that. Talking about libraries and books, my, my next favorite thing is another book. I did a lot of reading this year. Ew, nerd. And nerd alert but this one was actually for pleasure re i mean technically turning the screw was too mm -hmm. it wasn't in my i don't think it was in my course syllabus i like read it and wrote a research paper on it because i was inspired um this was like for personal pleasure reading though it had nothing to do with school it just had to do with like one of my other million passions which is true crime mm -hmm. and this book is american predator the hunt for the most meticulous serial killer of the 21st century. It is written by Maureen Callahan and it was published in 2019, but I did not read it until this year. So going through the synopsis, it's a bit of a longer one. So I am going to be trying to be as quick as I can. Also, like I'm when I see like longer like blurbs of stuff, I get nervous that I'm going to like trip over it or mess it up. So we'll see how I do. So it says, it's like super dramatic, of course, in the beginning, it's like Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer. The names of notorious serial killers are usually well-known. They echo in the news and public consciousness. But most people have never heard of Israel Keys. Have you? Maybe. I didn't. I honestly didn't. Mm -hmm. Going further, it says, one of the most ambitious and terrifying serial killers in modern history. The FBI considered his behavior unprecedented. Described by a prosecutor as a force of pure evil, Keyes was a predator who struck all over the United States. He buried kill kits, cash, weapons, and body disposal tools in remote locations across the country. Over the course of 14 years, Keyes would fly to a city, rent a car, and drive thousands of miles in order to use his kits. He would break into a stranger's house, abduct his victims in broad daylight, and kill and dispose of them in mere hours. And then he would return home to Alaska, resuming life as a quiet, reliable construction worker devoted to his only daughter. When journalist Maureen Callahan first heard about Israel Keys in 2012, she was captivated by how a killer of this magnitude can go undetected by law enforcement for over a decade. And so began a project that consumed her for the next several years, uncovering the true story behind how the FBI ultimately caught Israel Keys and trying to understand what it means for a killer like Keys to exist. A killer who has left a path of monstrous, randomly committed crimes in his wake, many of which remain unsolved to this day. American Predator 
is the ambitious culmination of years of interviews with key figures in law enforcement and Key's life and research uncovered from classified FBI files. Callahan takes us on a journey into the chilling nightmarish mind of a relentless killer and to the limitations of traditional law enforcement. This novel, oh my God, it was so good. Like such a page turner and like the, the truest sense of the, the, the term goes. I just remember picking up this book. I want to say I probably got it at like a Barnes and Noble or I might have honestly even got it at book review back mm. home when it was still around. Rest in peace, queen. Um, and I actually read it before I moved here. It was on my flight when I was visiting Dave. I forgot if it was my first visit or my second visit, but I took this book with me. And I think I read it within like literally a few days. I feel like I you read... told me about this in like the car one of the yeah, times. When I, I think I so, did. For sure. It, it was just so well written. And obviously she's a journalist, so she has a hand in writing yeah but i like to say that you know just not to be terrible but not just because you're a journalist doesn't mean you're a good writer Always. yeah i would say like the famous journalists are also good writers but like yeah i mean you should be a good writer to be a journalist yes uh, and a good writer she is if not i was i'd say she's an incredible writer i just felt so like i just needed to know more and the way that she wrote the chapters out, like the way she included interviews and just her narrative style was just like pure literary perfection, honestly. Like I was so enamored by this case and the fact that like apparently it was like nationwide news, but I've never heard of this case. I think the name is familiar, but I didn't know the specifics like how he See, went like, to, for like, me the name wasn't even stuff. the name wasn't even familiar to me and it's so crazy because I'm such a true crime junkie yeah I'm disappointed in you <laughs> I am too honestly and so like I literally like I had I was like when I was reading this book I was looking up pictures of this guy I was like trying to do all my own little research because I'm like I have no idea who, who the heck this is and just like I hate I, I hate that I'm even going to like speak this out into the universe, but it just like kind of is a known fact serial killers are some like the most intelligent people. Mm -hmm. Generally, not always. This man, like, like just reading it, I was just so like mind blown because he was so intelligent and just like reading the interviews that they like, had with him. I was so, I was just like, so like, what the hell, like, what is, what the fuck is going on? Like, it's just one thing after another. And the whole thing that I think that really got me were the kill kits and how he planted them like in advance. Yeah, that's meticulous. Yeah, and like got away, got away with it for so long. And it's actually really funny how he gets caught because it's like such a weird coincidence of how he gets caught. It was pure, like just pure coincidence. And it's for a stupid reason too, of course. And how did he get caught? I believe he got like pulled over by like, like the speeding. police. <laughs> now I don't know if it was speeding, but it was like something in the realm of being pulled over for something, uh -huh. and then it turned out that like all these things started to match up. Mm. Like it had nothing to do with the case. I think him being pulled over, something yeah. weird like that. I don't necessarily remember. Mm. But then I think the part that also killed me too 
was I believe again I'm probably I could be remembering this wrong I feel like there was like definitely a scene in the book where he's like in his shed like at home in Alaska like dismembering like a body and then like goes back into his house and like his daughter gets like dropped off by the mom because like they have like I guess shared custody or something and I just remember being like holy fuck like there are like there there's so much intricacy into this too because there are like people out there who were serial killers and were also like more than that like this man was like a father to a child and like Mm -hmm. would have never been suspected by any of his family members like that type of stuff like that level of crazy that reminds me that you also still have to watch Hannibal I do I know I know I think I tried getting I think I tried watching the first episode and I didn't finish it but we won't talk about that it's so good I, I think you'd love it I think I would too. I just have to give it time and space and my own mental space, but I am going to shut up about this book because I could literally talk about it for probably three hours. So that is where, that is where I will leave you off. I hope that you get the chance to read it one day, even if it's just like excerpts of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And same with our listeners. I uh, like, I just want to hear everyone's opinion of this book because I like regard it so highly in terms of like true crime writing. Uh, correction, our viewers, not our listeners. So true, our viewers. Weird. I'm so sorry, viewers. <laughs> um, my next favorite thing is something that I actually just got into this month, but it's been something that's really just been a great comfort to me this month because um, this month has been long and awful. Um, and it was actually suggested to me by our friend uh michael stevenson and that is the video game stardew valley um Mm. it's a a forming uh sim game kind of like you know takes odes from like minecraft and animal crossing and there's another game that it takes um stuff from but i never played it so i don't know but um stardew valley is such a relaxing and like fun game like for me video games I don't like high stakes like stressful games where like you have to like constantly be on the defense like Call of Duty stuff like that and not that anyone really plays that anymore but like games like that like single shooter games stuff like that I'm not a fan of um like Super Mario Odyssey I was a fan of um, and like Zelda games I like just because they're a little bit more chill and like visually they're very interesting. Um, but Stardew is great because there is like a story like you're put in this in this town. It's Pelican Town, which is in Stardew Valley. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, your grandpa passes away and you inherit his old farm. And so you meet all the people who live in the town and they all have like their personalities and like some of them are you know they have their families or their businesses some of them are like the bachelor characters where you can like romance them and stuff which is always a fun aspect for me as someone um who plays the sims a lot um and it's just like you can farm and i love farming um and so i have i have my crops um (laughs) what are you currently growing well, it's fall right now in the game. So I have like mm-hmm. pumpkins and eggplant, cranberries, um, bok choy, 
um, something like that. And I have animals, like I have chickens and ducks and cows and pigs and goats and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and that's wonderful. And like, I can like milk them and get eggs and stuff. And then I can cook in my kitchen. Um, there's also, I really like mining. There's a mine. And like, there's creatures down there where you have to like use a sword or something to combat them. But it's, it's, that's like the most stressful part of the game. And it's not even that stressful because you can just leave the mine and they can't hurt you anymore. <laughs> um, and like, you can do requests from the other people in the town and like get money for that um there's like these kind of more supernatural aspects to it where like there's this guy this guy named um Krobus who lives in the sewers and there's just like a bunch of like fun little easter eggs found throughout the town and everyone's like nice and you could bring them gifts that they really like and um I was trying sounds very wholesome it's just it's fun and like that you don't it's have just, to do anything technically yeah it sounds calming it is like I just I'm watering my crops I'm going I'm foraging around the town I can go fishing um and then I love the 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 bachelors and stuff like that I am currently dating uh the town doctor named Harvey he is he's so sweet he's also very anxious he likes planes he has a mustache which we know I love um yeah it's just it's 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 a great game it's so calming and it's like not it I think I I bought it for like 10 or 15 dollars like it's not expensive in comparison I'm sorry, remind me I I'm I'm so sorry I don't know I don't remember if you said this right is this a computer game um I think you can play on PC I have it on my switch my Nintendo switch okay um but you can play it I think on PC like um is it on steam i don't know i think it's on one of those um gaming are you gonna start going live on twitch i'm not gonna become a streamer mostly because i just do it for fun not to be interesting i always thought that if i were if i were to um like stream any game it would probably be the sims and like people could yell at me while i do my builds because I'm not very good at building houses, but I really like building houses and like decorating them and stuff like that. Um, but I don't think I, I can't take the criticism. So um, I'm just not gonna. Uh, but I love Stardew Valley. It's been a great like I was sick earlier this month, not with the vid, just a regular cold. Um, and when I was sitting in bed because I couldn't do anything, I was just playing that. Um, and it was, it brought me a lot of solace that I could go out and do stuff yeah. virtually. Um, mm -hmm. the same way that like Animal Crossing gave me a lot of solace, uh, last year. And that was good for me. That's what Stardew Valley is now. Um, so that's, that was my third favorite thing. Love that. So great. So I am switching it up a bit with my favorite things and I'm going into the realm of music. Mm -hmm. doing a little media switch up. Mm -hmm. And I am focusing on an album rather than like an artist or a song. I wanted to look at like a whole piece of like a work. 
And the album, it actually came out in 2021. So it came out this year and something that I just very much appreciated for so many different reasons. And the album is If I Can't Have Love, I Want Power, which is Halsey's fourth studio album. Right. Um, that, it was, was that the one with like the really cool album cover? Yes. Right. Where they were like very Mother Mary looking. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the production of the album was done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross from Nine Inch Nails. I mean, they're not not only Nine Inch Nails, but like their other work is so iconic. Like all of the soundtracks that they've worked on yeah in film like if they touch your project it's going to it's going to succeed yeah yeah and succeed it did and like they just did such a good job with it um going into like the concept of the album it's really cool so halsey like said this herself so i'm gonna like read from her own words it was actually posted on her instagram when she introduced the album so when she was introducing the album she actually did like a live of her walking through I want to say it was the Met Museum. That would make sense, I guess. Yeah, don't quote me on it. I not sure. gonna. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> she's walking through the museum, and it's literally like a video of anticipation. Like, we're like, what is this bitch doing? Going around, like, looking hot and everything, doing her thing, and then she's looking at all these like m- maternal like illustrations and paintings and the Madonna, museum. yeah. Yeah, um, and then she unveils her album cover art, Genius. Mm-hmm. So going into what she said for the album, she said, this album is a concept album about the joys and horrors of pregnancy and childbirth. It was very important to me that the cover art convey the sentiment of my journey over the past few months. The dichotomy of the Madonna and the whore the idea that me as a sexual being and my body as a vessel and gift to my child are two concepts that can coexist peacefully and powerlessly. My body has belonged to the world in many different ways the past two years. And this image is my means of reclaiming my autonomy and establishing my pride and strength as a life force for my human being. That's cool. So yeah, very cool. Um, literally it has, power within the title um and that's basically what the album exudes even better is she came up not only with like this album itself but she came out with a film that she put out in theaters right i saw people logging that on letterbox and i was like what are the, what are these people talking about yeah <laughs> um so by the same name and so i saw it the day release which was i believe um august 25th or august 26th and it came out i think like a week or a few days before the album did Mm. so it was just like such an exciting way to visually bring the album to life and also just new music because it's like you were literally sitting in the theater awaiting to hear new music from her for the first time Mm -hmm. being paired with this like beautiful storyline and it was so artistic and so creative. And she had her hand very much within that piece herself and was involved very heavily with the making of the film, which is so cool. I think you would appreciate it from like a, an aesthetic point 
I mean, out. like that's like um back in what was it 2017 when Janelle Monet dropped um Dirty Computer and the accompanying emotion picture, which was basically this like hour long combination yeah. of music videos for the album. Um, and she never released it in theaters like Halsey did, but I I love stuff like that. Um, now we know I'm not exactly a big fan of Halsey's music, yeah. but I do think they're a very interesting artist. Um, and I think a lot of uh, the criticism put their way is not, not you know, garnered the way that it should be. Um, I just was, was Halsey the one who did the, said the thing about Pitchfork? Yes. <laughs> Whatever basement they're run out of. <laughs> Wait, was that Halsey or Demi Lovato? No, that was Halsey. <laughs> I think you're right. Different she day, different she day. <laughs> I, I, why do I feel like Demi did something similar? Not like similar, but like something of that magnitude. Demi has I mean, done so much. I'm so done with them. And <laughs> their ghost hunting show is, or not even ghost hunting. I don't even know what the fuck it is. That's when just... they sang, when they when they sang to the ghost because they <laughs> believed it was traumatized. <laughs> and they sang skyscraper. <laughs> That's sick. Like it seems like a parody, but they're playing it absolutely straight. Like they are so serious about this. <laughs> it's so bad. Anyway. Um, anyways, just to highlight a few songs from the album that I really just love i just love again it's it's trent and atticus mm-hmm. on this album so production is immaculate oh i know you're not a big fan of halsey but just give some i'll just i'll tell you the song right now and just okay. maybe give them a bit of a snippet listen because i might listen to it why not it's not it can't hurt yeah um so the first two songs are the tradition and bells in santa fe the tradition like really i feel like it's such a strong opener for the album where it tells the story of a girl who basically like sells her body um just to get by and it's just so poetic and beautiful um and then number four track is called lilith and like the like had, the uh not the angel was well, wait was Lilith the angel that fell as well no I think she's, Lilith is she's evil isn't yeah Lilith she's is demon? like Satan's like right hand woman I think or something like that yeah. um such a great production and lyrics and it's my favorite scene in the film it is so beautiful um, and then I would say Darling number seven is more of a um, a ballad and it's for, I am a ballad ho and it's for <laughs> it's for Halsey's like child. That's what makes it so like emotional. And then I would say probably my favorite track from the album is track number twelve, which is called The Lighthouse. I feel like it that one such- I heard. It has such great 
just instrumentation in it. I am obsessed with the lyrics. I love it because it's such a dark song and there's so many great like allusions and just like metaphors. And it's this idea of like the devil tempting someone and them becoming this like incarnation of like what they were meant to be kind of. That's how I interpret the song and reclaiming power and being seen as like this devil figure because you were tempted by a devil um and wreaking havoc on like sailors so it's almost takes on that like that siren notion to mm-hmm. like luring sailors to their death such a great song i i think it was like probably within my top 10 songs of the year and the album only came out in like august mm. i'm getting a lot of biblical overtones from this which i yes. like actually in music and like art um I like, you know, allusions to all that archaic stuff. I think it's just very fun and when people can bring a new um, approach to it. Interpretation. Mm -hmm. That's my number four. I I maybe can promise that I'll listen to it. I listen to a lot of music. Um, No, and like, like I said, you don't even have to listen to like, the whole album obviously like even if you just check out a song I, I gotta listen to the whole album that's how it was meant to be listened to I guess I yeah I was gonna say I were to like throw things your way I think um the tradition Lilith Darling the Lighthouse those like I think you would find something from each of those songs that you would like okay um my Number four, the fourth favorite thing of mine is also music related. And um, we've spoken about this quite a bit (laughs) this year on the podcast. And that is um, Taylor Swift. It was really her year, like last year, coming from folklore. And then it's been her two years. It's been her, yeah, she's had a good, a few years stretch. Um, But with the re-records of both, uh, yeah, Fearless came out this year, what, March, April, May? Um, one of those months, I don't April. remember. April. That makes sense. Say, yeah. um, and um, obviously, Taylor's version of Red came out in November. Um, I've been, like, just really appreciating how much of an influence she's had on my life. Um like she yeah. is someone who like I've been a fan of since I was a child. Um, and I can't say that with many artists that I currently listen to other than like the Muppets, I guess. <laughs> um, and even I wasn't that big of a Muppet fan when I was a kid. I just, it, it was there. Um, but like Taylor Swift, like I actively listened to as a child and as a teenager and now as and an, now adult, an adult. And now as an adult baby, um, she's been with me through everything. Um, and, you know, I think Red TV really cemented it where, like, I very much remember where I was when the original one dropped and, like, who I was then. And it's been very transformative for me to listen to Red TV now and, like, all the vault tracks and, like, really hone in to her during that period of her life when she was my age now, like, 22, 23 um it's 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 a lot and um I just you know 
she, I know I rag on like reputation and whatever, but like genuinely, I would prefer to listen to any one of her albums over like any basic other artists out there. Like her artistry is unmatched. She will always possess something that is so genuine that doesn't matter how big she gets, like she's still the same at her core. And yeah. I can really appreciate that in an artist because I've seen other people just the, sell out. Just the, just the songwriting itself. It's... Yeah, like she still like writes. I mean, she has like other people who help her write still and whatever, but like the lyrics are pretty much always hers. Um, yeah. And like I've seen other artists I really like just like kind of go downhill. Like I'm not going to name names, but you know, the one, just the ones that I just don't really listen to anymore. Um, but she, she, you know, she lost me in like an era or two, but I'm back. <laughs> I'm back, baby. Um, I'm back and better than ever. And I really appreciate her and her music um, being in my life, especially this year. It, um, it has continued to help me out in my life. Um, and so I'm, that's something I'm thankful for her every year. But especially this year, she has been one of yes. my favorite things. And it's just like, I'm gonna, yeah. I gotta throw something in about the re records. I'm, I'm curious to see if you have the same opinion. It's something I've thrown at Dave, and I think we're in agreement with it. Um, I think other people would agree. I, I don't know. I wanna see your opinion. So I said, I believe Fearless re records were better than Red re records. However, I believe Red Vault tracks are better than Fearless Vault tracks. I think the quality of both of the original like album records are about the same. I think because Fearless is so much more far removed from us temporally yeah. speaking, um, they sound better because her vocal quality just has improved that much. Whereas from Red, I mean, she's still improved since Red, but like a lot of it's still the same. Um, and the mixing is maybe more on par with what we're used to now with her, uh, where Fearless, it was totally different. Um, but I will say the vault tracks from Red were much better than the Fearless vault tracks. Whereas like there were like one or two vault tracks from Fearless that I, I vibed with. Like there's only like one or two misses with the vault tracks on the red like I was just like with the records like there's 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 eight of those damn of those damn vinyls um like the last two like or two or three sides are just the vault tracks I will just listen to those sometimes because it's like it's like red part two it's there's so many and they're all very good honestly like Ivan <laughs> Messaging a bottle is kind of everything. I know it sounds, people say it sounds like it's at the end of like a Life of Pets kind of movie, but I don't care. I no, think very that much, song slaps. No, the gays be are loving Message in a Bottle. I love um, Message in a Bottle. Not my favorite ball track. I, I think she's cute. I appreciate her. Um, however, there are ball tracks there that just speak more to me um I bet you think about me is my favorite ball track if not that's I like think it's, up there for me 
I think it's just literally the first listen. It's so good. I, think it's one of her, I think it's one of her best songs. I it like, really oh, is. It's so good. It tells such a great story. I love the vocals. I love the, um, it's very, how do, how do I make this weird Long Island connection? It's very Billy Joel of Taylor Swift. Okay. <laughs> I kind of get what you mean, but also. Yeah, I, no. I can't explain it further. Like if you, if you get it, you get it. If you don't, you don't. It, it's, it's moving out core. It is. <laughs> Anyways, so I have our special guest joining us right oh now to goodness. talk about, since we're talking about music in 2021, I figured he'd pop in to talk about his favorites of 2021 since it is music related. Hello, okay. hi everyone. Who is this? <laughs> Hello, it's Dave. It, it is, this is Dave here. I was, I was on the Taylor Swift episode and um, I'm Craig's partner that he unfortunately has to live with every day. Wow. Love's in the air. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wrote some of my favorite things I'll just rifle through quick. I haven't been like paying attention as you guys have been doing this because I was reading in the other room. So I don't know if anything has been mentioned. Um, but my favorite things this year were uh, my, my favorite discovery was Japanese Breakfast. Uh, Michelle's honor. She wrote a memoir called Crying in H Mart that was released this year, which was incredible um happy sad you'll cry you'll laugh um so brilliant she put out her third studio album called jubilee um which i think was the best album released this year uh, i listened to it way too much craig is uh exhausted by it just a little <laughs> um and and then she also she had a very busy year she also did the entire soundtrack for a video game called sable um, and I'm obsessed with it. It's very like vibey music that's like experimental, instrumental. Um, so yeah, it was the year of Japanese breakfast for me. I love her. My favorite film I watched this year was called Little Fish. Uh, it made me cry like an absolute baby. It's so poignant. Um, it's about a memory loss virus that strikes the world and it's a couple trying to survive um, the memory loss virus. My favorite TV show was one Craig showed me called What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah. Um, it was my first time seeing that. We blew through it in like two weeks. Such a good no, show. Maybe like a month. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. And um, we have the film lined up for him oh, in the near future. You gotta. You gotta. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the 10 minute version of All Too Well and Britney being freed, finally. Those are. Those are my favorites that I rifled through real quick for y'all. Those are great favorites. I liked a lot of those things myself as well. I not heard of that film, but I might I might check it out. Um, oh yeah, I was the star in the film. You know the star because I do too. What's her name? She was in Thoroughbreds, I believe. Um, Olivia. That's a good question. Good Olivia, Olivia Cook. Yeah. I want to say Olivia Cook's in this film. And if it's not her, then I apologize in advance. It is. It Olivia is Olivia Cook. Cook. She is in this movie. Yeah. Look at me knowing things. I haven't even seen <laughs> Thoroughbreds, but I know it's her and Anya. Because obviously it wasn't Anya. It had to be the other. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I watched. I watched Little Fish on a whim, and I it, I was just completely blown away. It's got a three point eight on Letterbox, which is really good for Letterbox. Um, and I highly recommend to literally anybody with a pulse because you will just I. I can't see hating this film. 
Um, and that film's on Hulu, correct? I don't remember where I watched it, to be honest. Let the people do their homework. Let the, um, let the listeners, let the listeners, you know, have to look around a little bit. They are the viewers. The there viewers. are viewers now. Um, there are viewers. I did listen to Jubilee back when it kind of, when did it release? I, I listened to it in the summer. Um, I enjoyed yeah, it. it but I don't think I've revisited it in a while, which maybe I should, because I did like it, but I didn't like connect with it, connect with it. So maybe that's just because it was a listen through. Also, I think I listened to it while I was driving up to Boston, which was stressful. Um, so probably not the best um, situation in which to listen to it. But yeah, those are those are solid favorites. Yes, they are. We did it. Well, thank y'all for having me on real quick. Thank you. Yeah. For I love both of you very much. I'm Aww. the biggest fan of this podcast. <laughs> wow. Back to yeah. my book. He's gonna have to fight we love, some people. We for love that. we love having fellow viewers on on the pod. I mean, yeah. Um, we have we have quite a few fans. I think I I said that our guests would have to fight each other to figure out who is the best guest, but I feel like it's gonna be hard to arrange everybody. Anyway. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Um. So, am I doing my my last my last yes. favorite thing? You remember your so, last favorite thing. I mean, to, to round it all off, being we are Raiders of the Lost Arts and we primarily talk about film, I figured I'd talk about a film. It is not a lost film, however, which mm. we will get into in a future season. Mm. Um, but this film actually comes from 2012, so it's almost like... I almost try to say that's almost 2021 backwards, but it's really not. I just can't do now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I just watched this movie, I feel like, a few times this year, and it's really a comfort film for me. And that movie is Paranorman. Oh, Paranorman. I've only seen it once, but I remember really liking it. Yes, it's so good. So the there are two directors on this film. It is Sam Fell and Chris Butler. Sam Fell has directed films such as Flushed Away and The Tale of Despero. Um, and then Chris Butler, his only other uh, direct, direct directorial film was actually a more recent one in 2019, The Missing Link, which I oh. loved. Yeah, I'm like, I heard good things about that. Like, I thought it looked kind of dumb, but everyone said that it was actually pretty good. Also, no, I love so Flushed good. Away. I don't think I've ever seen Flushed Away. It's good. Like, it's dumb. Um, oh, for sure. But it, it's a lot of fun. People keep on saying that, like, the lead rat looks like Tom Holland, which I think is funny. Because <laughs> it kind of does. It's like how people... Say that Alex line from Madagascar is Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, my. <laughs> it's true though. Um, but no, be no mistake. Missing Link is not something to laugh at. It is a no. fantastic film. Hell yeah, it's very good. Uh, anyway, so for those who do not know Paranorman, just giving a brief synopsis from our friend Letterboxd. In the town of Blythe Hollow, Norman Babcock can speak to the dead, but no one other than his eccentric new friend believes his ability is real. One day, Norman's eccentric uncle tells him of a ritual he must perform to protect the town from a curse cast by a witch centuries ago. Mm. I'm just like speechless. 
Okay, so you have not seen this movie. <laughs> speechless. Like, speechless. where, literally, where was the Oscar? It is such a good film. Like, it's so wholesome. It's, it's fun. It's witty. It has great emotionality behind it, where, you know, you, you feel happy. You feel sad. It's, you might feel a little frightful. You might feel a little hopeless, but then don't worry. You will be filled with hope by the end of the film. Um... It was, I don't know, I think it was written so well. I just love the animation style for it, too. It's a, it's a what, a Leica pictures, like the same studio that did, like, uh, Frank and Weenie and Coraline? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So I let, We were talking about that in our Christmas episode, how we like that kind of animation style. It's we we did. Um, it's just so, it's such a good tale. I feel like anyone who goes in to watch the movie can find Norman such a relatable protagonist, mm -hmm. no matter who you are. So mm -hmm. it's just really, it's really refreshing, really nice. And I don't know what else to say. It takes you, it's just like, it takes you for a good ride. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, what's even better is there is queer representation in a 2012 right. I forgot about that. Actually, no, I did not forget yeah. about that because that was tumblered to death back in the day. People were like, oh, look at this, look at this. And I was like, I see it. As it should have been. Yeah. Um, but that's great. I think um, people have a, a large fondness for movies like this because it's one of those um, films that's like, it's targeted more towards children, but it's not like a children's movie yes. um, where like you can be any age to enjoy it. And I think, I think where you're starting to see more of a shift in animation because of all those kinds of movies, like into the spider verse is one of my favorite animated films of all time. And it's, it's like kid friendly, but not a kid's movie. It's just an animated film. Same thing mm -hmm. with, a lot of Studio Ghibli films. Um, mm -hmm. Same thing with Encanto, which we we all just recently watched. Um, yes, where I was like, gonna say even something like Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yes, which I still haven't seen, but I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've been told to watch it a million times. It's I should. I think I really like it. Um, I love that movie. It's like it, it's cozy. It's Wes Anderson. Um, there's no reason wrong. for me not to like it. Um, and it has such a good cast, too. But I think when we stop viewing animated films as, like, kids' movies and just Or, as like, a less medium, than. Yeah, it's just, like, it's just a medium to tell your story in. Where, like, when we're writing um, scripts in my grad program, um, it's, like, one of the last questions I ask myself. I'm like, oh, does this have to be live action? Can this be an animated story? And, like, I've done a few scripts where I'm like, I think this would be better if it were animated. And like, yeah. obviously that's, I, that's a whole different world that I frankly don't know that much about, except for like the few documentaries I watched of like behind the scenes, the making of like Tarzan or whatever movie. Um, yeah. But it's something to think about to all people who like are thinking about stories in their heads. Like, is this one where you have to see the people have to, you know, have to have a camera or can you have that invisible camera 
um, in animation. Because yeah. I think some of the best movies ever made are animated films because it's just a medium, y'all. It's just a medium and there's so much heart put into them. Yeah, because like every single thing that you see on the screen is put there. There's no yeah. accidents where like in the background of a shot in a movie, you can have like someone who wasn't hired doing something dumb. Like everything that's there is supposed to be there. And I think that's wonderful. Yeah, it's thought through like so meticulously and it's just, it's so, they're always so detail oriented and Mm -hmm. so, like you said, intentional, purposeful, and that's what shows the heart in it. Like everyone is there for a reason and everyone has a job on this set and it's going to get done and they're going to create something. And it's more than, more often than that, like really beautiful. Yeah. Love that. Um, so my my last favorite thing is not is not a movie. Um, I watched too many movies to be able to put any of them here anyway. I'm going to yes. um, post my year end top whatever movies of this year uh, on my Twitter at some point. But my favorite thing out of this year has been this podcast and all of our viewers and all of our guests and everyone who has engaged with this podcast in some way. Um, it's, it's honestly mind blowing that we started this in March. It feels like we started it like two years ago. <laughs> like, like last year, Craig and I, it was like kind of a bit at first. I'm like, oh, we should totally have a podcast. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's do a podcast. I think it would be great. And then I was like, no, I'm serious. And Craig was like, no, I'm serious. And so we're like, okay, well, what do we need to do? And we got the stuff and we started doing it because that's the American dream. (laughs) But it's truly just given me something to just to do, to look forward to something to say, like, I did that. I put in all this work and this is what I have to show for it. And I'm genuinely proud of what we do here. Like, I know it's not like the greatest quality content it's not everyone's not buzzing about it on twitter but that's not why we do it uh we do it so that me and my friend craig can talk about the things that we like with people that we like um two people that hopefully like us um and you know it's just been something if anything it's for our own mental sanity yeah it's a, it's a constant in my life i can i always know at the end of the day hey I have this thing to show for myself and in the future I'm going to be doing more of it. Um, We don't have any plans to stop. Um, People keep on asking me like, oh, you're going to keep on doing it. I'm like, yeah, why the fuck not? Um, Why not? We will maybe like in, maybe if the earth is still around, I highly doubt it in like a hundred years from now. And someone's going to like dig into the archive and like find our podcast. And then it's going to be like a hit sensation in a hundred years from now. Season 40, our top five pandemics that we lived through <laughs> all the different viruses. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I am very happy with all the episodes that we've done this year. I haven't put out anything that I'm like, that sucked. Like even the early episodes where the audio is kind of wonky because I didn't know how to edit or yeah those were like sometimes we were kind of boring ourselves like even then I'm like it was something I learned from and that I enjoyed doing 
Um, and I loved having all of our guests this season. That's something yes. that's been great that we're going to do a lot more of in the future because mm-hmm. it's just so fun to have other voices. Um, and to find out, damn, that like we were on some people's Spotify rap and like people actually listen to this for God knows what reason, but they do, whether they're my wild. friend or someone I don't know. It's, it's great. Yeah, absolutely wild. Um, it's so, so rewarding. Yeah. It is. I, I love doing it. Love hanging out with my friend. Love talking about things, whether I have good things to say or not. Mostly good. We don't talk about Mostly. things that we hate, except in like our news segments or whatever. Yeah. We try to or keep like, it you know, positive. Yeah, we try to. And I feel like the only time we like, you know, bash on someone or something is if it's like very well deserved. Like we're mm-hmm. very fuck capitalism. So like if you are in that realm, like of course we're gonna drag you a bit on here but that's okay yeah um yeah i i really look forward to our our next season things are gonna be different but the same and better i'm very yeah. much looking forward to it um i am too and i'm i'm glad that everyone's been listening and if you're listening you know happy new year and thank you thank you for staying with us all this yes, time you're one of our favorite year. things Yes. Um, you got anything else to say? I feel like that's a good note to end it on, but. <laughs> it really, it, I think it is as well. I think it really wraps everything up and puts it with like a nice little bow on top. Yeah. Um, so uh, with warm wishes and, you know, hope everyone's staying safe. I have been Kay. And I have been Craig. And have a goddamn happy new year. Yeah, have a goddamn happy new year. And go watch a goddamn movie. Also, yeah, go watch a goddamn movie. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. In one arena? Yeah. Your hair looks great, by the way. Your hair is doing a thing right now, and it's it's looking good. (laughs) You know, Dave was actually making fun of me this morning for it. He's like, you look like you woke up with your with that head doesn't but it looks styled is some thing thank you oh not the back said, <laughs> oh. oh the back's a little bit uh medusa-y but the front looks it, good it, it's a little but like i think the whole bed head thing's a bit of a serve sometimes i didn't say it looked bad just so everyone's aware i didn't say it looked bad <laughs> i didn't say you said you looked bad did i you said like bed head which has the connotation of being bad of what she probably had that connotation.